Hello, and welcome to the Harassment-Free Workplace Podcast. I'm April Tarot of Navigating Integrity Associates. This podcast is for CEOs and HR professionals of small and medium-sized businesses to learn practical suggestions that can be used right away to address harassment in the workplace. We are committed to creating workplaces that work for everyone. Welcome. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Harassment-Free Workplace Podcast. Today's guest is Jorge Lasso. Welcome to the show, Jorge. Oh, thank you, April. I'm going to read your bio to introduce you to our listeners. Jorge Lasso has 35 years experience in law enforcement in areas such as investigations, including homicide, domestic violence, and child abuse, criminal and provincial prosecutions, supervision, management, mediation, policy development, course design, and training on anti-oppression and inclusivity in the workplace. Jorge was appointed his police service's first race relations officer in 1987, where he established ongoing relationships with leaders, members, and agencies from Indigenous, LGBTQ2+, racialized, and cultural communities. Jorge has many years of experience as a trainer and lecturer at learning institutions such as the Ontario Police College, the Canadian Police College, Mohawk College, McMaster University, and Brock University, lecturing on a range of topics such as anti-racism, child abuse, investigations, tactical communication, and adult education. His pioneer work in police anti-racism work has led to several honors and awards. He has also been recognized for the use of novel investigative techniques. Since retiring from policing in 2012, Jorge has continued to work as a trainer and investigator on issues related to workplace harassment. Jorge has conducted numerous workplace harassment investigations, as well as delivered dozens of group and individual one-to-one training sessions. Welcome to the podcast, Jorge. Those were nice words. It sounds like (laughs) I wrote that. (laughs) Maybe you did. (laughs) But what's clear from that is your wealth of experience, like 35 years as a in law enforcement. And also what really jumped out at me was you were your police service's first race relations officer in 1987. Yes, that's a long time ago. Yeah, well, it just it means you're a pioneer in the anti-racism work, which of course is so huge nowadays, right? It's top and center. It is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I'm really thankful to have you as, uh, as a guest today because I'm well, sure you. you have lots to add to our listeners. One thing I ask everybody is three things that people can take away from the show to implement in their workplaces. And I'm sure you have a million things actually in our pre-production talk <laughs> there. We could talk forever and forever. You have so much information to be able to give people and really good information. So why don't we just jump right in? Okay. What in all of your experience in investigating all these harassment complaints and as a police officer and all the investigations you did there, what, what's kind of like the top, foremost thing that you think people should be aware of right now um well again like you said i could i could speak at length about a lot of these subjects uh and keeping it down to uh three uh main topics uh to talk about was actually a little challenging for (laughs) me because i can think of so many others Mm -hmm. but uh you know in all fairness to employers uh just because i am very familiar with the issue of workplace harassment and and uh, disrespect and lack of inclusivity, et cetera, doesn't mean that most people are aware of that. So the first thing I would recommend employers uh, start with is a good, solid policy. 
again, if it's a federally regulated employer, um, there will be some major changes to the law that relates to workplace harassment effective January 1st, 2021. So this would be a very good time to start rewriting or writing from scratch policies in a federally regulated employer. For provincially regulated employers, the Occupational Health and Safety Act, of course, has uh, contained um, anti-harassment legislation going back to 2010. So the legislation is already there. The wording, the explanations as to what constitutes workplace harassment, etc. That information is readily available online or through the Ministry of the uh, Ministry of Labor. So. Um, there are companies that can also assist employers in putting together a good, solid policy. But what I mean by good, solid policy is the policy has to be short, number one. Nobody reads long policies. Number two, the policy has to clearly define what is, what is, what is considered to be disrespectful, harassing behavior. And there's nothing wrong with adding a long list to the policy of examples of behaviors that could constitute workplace harassment. There also has to be clear definitions as to where the workplace is. Because one of the things I've learned in my training is that some people are under the impression that uh, once the workday ends and we're away from work, then all the rules go out the window and I can be inappropriate again. So the policy has to make it very clear that essentially, as long as you are with your co-workers, your, respect, your disrespectful behavior will constitute harassment, whether you are on duty, off duty, whether you're in a different country or a different city. I've done investigations involving employees from Ontario who found themselves in Las Vegas and the inappropriate behavior took place in Las Vegas. So what happened in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas. They did not stay in <laughs> Vegas, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. um, so again, the policy has to be clear on that point. Mm -hmm. The policy also has to be clear on what the consequences will be for breaches of that policy. Um, and again, you know, you, you could word it any way you want, but essentially people need to know. Um, if the behavior is egregious enough, even a one-time incident could be harassment and it could result in somebody getting losing their job, getting fired. Um, so that has to be made clear to people. Of course, a policy is no good if nobody reads it or if it's not enforced. <laughs> How many have you seen oh. gathering dust on the shelves, Oh, right? my God. It's too many to mention, I'll tell you yeah. that. Uh, you know, it's pretty bad when even the HR people aren't very conversant with their own policy. Or they don't have them. I'm or they don't even have one. I'm shocked because I'm really specializing in small and medium-sized businesses. And so many of them have no clue that they're even needed. Yes. And then when I go to do the investigation, they're like, well, that's not really harassment, is it? And I'm like, um, yeah, yeah, it is. 
<laughs> yes, I you know I encounter that all the time. Yeah. So I mean, um, I mean, what I remember is the law is once you reach five employees, you have to have these policies in place. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So and, and again, you know, if you have five employees, make sure you have your policies in place. <laughs> correct. But even if you only have four employees, you should have a policy because policies are going to back you up if and when the time comes that you have to deal with a person that chooses to engage in disrespectful behavior and won't stop after you tell them to. Exactly. And I, I just had a case just like that where they didn't really know what harassment was. They didn't have any policies in place clear harassment happened and the employer is shocked that they're now obligated and in in their litigation about it and i'm like i'm sorry but that's that's the law so yes mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. again you know many employers are unaware because nobody has ever made it an issue and if they don't have a dedicated human resources professional mm -hmm. they may not even be aware that it is mandatory um but anyway so mm -hmm. we begin with a good solid policy mm -hmm. The next step in my mind is training. Uh -huh. But when I talk about training, I want to make two points. Number one is the training has to begin at the top, begin with the CEO, uh, the president, the, the person that owns the company, whoever that person is, has to be the first to take the training. Uh -huh. And most importantly, they have to buy into the training. Uh, then every other employee has to receive the training. So that's that's the one aspect of training. The other aspect of training is uh, a lot of employers will give their employees uh, an online training course on workplace harassment. My personal feelings about those courses is they're good refreshers, but they're not good courses in terms of properly training your staff to recognize harassment when they see it. Uh -huh. The best kind of training is live training. It takes at least half a day and it must cover issues of anti-racism, uh, anti-sexism, um, homophobia. All of those issues have to be included as well as teaching people about, you know, what is workplace harassment, where is the workplace, all the other things that you would include in the training. Okay. But one of the most important things is people need to understand that we're talking about disrespectful behavior. How do you do all of that in half a day? <laughs> well, you know, again, because I've been doing it for so long, I can usually um, <laughs> cut cut to the, 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 the matter pretty quickly. But one of the things that I find helps, and again, when I'm, when I'm doing training with an employer, I spend quite a bit of time talking to the employer mm -hmm. um, because you know many employers want to be able to comply with the law. So they have 300 employees. Can we put everybody in a large room and then you can do two hours training? Mm -hmm. No, that's not going to be adequate. Mm -hmm. uh, so break it down into small groups, preferably uh, 20 or less. I also tell people to really think twice about mixing managers and subordinates in the same training. Mm. Uh, that can be a good thing or it can be a horrible thing. It depends on the dynamics in the workplace. 
Well, especially if somebody is being harassed by their manager and they're in the room. That Correct. Would be very uncomfortable. Correct. Mm -hmm. uh, also, people will not open up if mm -hmm. they think they're going to be judged by a manager or a supervisor. Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, some of the best discussions I've had involved um, subordinates and supervisors and managers, but that was a workplace where people felt free and comfortable disagreeing with persons in position of authority. Mm -hmm. which is it's, rare. <laughs> it's rare, exactly. So that's why I tell the employer, you know, what is the dynamic in your workplace in terms of um, people feeling comfortable disagreeing with persons in a position of power? Mm -hmm. uh, if there's too much negativity, then it's probably better to train the managers and supervisors separate from the front line or the everyday worker. Mm -hmm. Um the other advantage to separating those groups, of course, is that half a day's training is not enough for managers and supervisors. Yes, I was going to say they need more training for sure. They need more training because they're the ones that are going to, at the very least, be often be the first person to receive the complaint. Mm -hmm. And if they don't do their job properly, the whole process goes out the window. Most definitely. I've seen that go south so many well, times. Absolutely. You know, if, oh. you, if you have a manager or a supervisor that is not properly trained, mm -hmm. you walk in there and you tell them that you're having a dispute with somebody else, that can go wrong in so many ways so quickly if the person that you're talking to doesn't know what to do, that before you know it, the person uh, that brought the complaint forward decides that this is not worth it, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to help, and they just keep quiet, and next thing you know, they either leave the company or they sue the company mm -hmm. or see a lawyer or something. So mm -hmm. that first person to receive that complaint is very important, and that's Most. why managers and supervisors, who generally tend to be the first ones to receive these complaints, they have to be the first ones to, uh, to um, get the extra training. Yeah, so, so important, which is actually kind of goes to your third point. So we'll skip over two. We'll come back to it. Um, but your third was how can an employer like support a complainant throughout this whole process? And that, yeah, this is a good time to talk about that. Yeah, let's just jump there. <laughs> um, so, you know, there are three participants in any investigation. Mm -hmm. The complainant or complainants, mm -hmm. the respondent or respondents, mm -hmm. and that's who, who is alleged to have engaged in disrespectful behavior. And the third uh, participant is the witness or witnesses. Mm -hmm. um, each and every one of those participants needs to feel that the process is fair. They need to feel that they're being heard. And in the end, they need to feel that no matter what happens, the employer will support them. Mm -hmm. Now, Obviously, we tend to think of the complainant needing support, but sometimes the respondent needs support. Mm -hmm. In fact, oftentimes respondents were not really aware that their behavior was inappropriate. 
Oh, I would say that's more often than not. Correct. I would say most of the time they are completely clueless that exactly. what they did was in any way, shape, or form harassment. And that's why at the end of it, when the report says that, yes, you are found to have engaged in harassing behaviors, there, there's an automatic wall that goes up because they, they didn't believe that their behavior was wrong in the first place. Yes, most definitely. So they could easily dismiss the results of the investigation. Um, in other words, nothing's going to change because they didn't think they were doing anything wrong in the first place. Uh -huh. So there needs to be support for that person. And when you're essentially trying to change behavior, that support is going to have to be there for a long time. And the support will have to be more than passive. Let me explain that. Uh -huh. A lot of times a supervisor will say to the respondent, listen, I know, uh, I know you're upset about this. You know, you're going to lose two days pay, whatever. Um, but when you come back to work, you know, if, if you have any questions, come and see me. And they leave it at that. Well, uh -huh. you need to take it a step further. When the person does come back to work, the manager or supervisor or HR or whoever the appropriate person is needs to sit down with that person and go over the law again, go over what the behavior is that is unacceptable and support them in their efforts to change that behavior. And then a week later or a month later, have another formal meeting with that respondent to see how things are going. It's also a good time to perhaps have one-on-one -on -one training as well. Uh, that's another very good time for that. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, uh, there's more and more companies offering that kind of training. I know mm -hmm. the company that I do a lot of work for uh, does provide that one-to-one -one training. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the support that the respondent needs. The, the complainant, of course, generally the support is fairly obvious, uh, but... Again, we tend to, employers tend to leave that complainant hanging pretty early on. As soon as the investiga investigation's over, uh, you know, are you feeling okay? Is everything okay? And then they leave it at that. The reality is most people will say that, yeah, everything's fine, even when it's not. Yes, most definitely. So, and something I found, too, is when employers are faced with a, a complaint, they kind of clam up. Because they're like, oh, yes. I don't want this. Oh, what do we do? Oh, 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 oh. She said, they said it's fine. Okay, we're done. We're done. Yes. No, 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 no. They no. just, they want to get away from it as, as quickly as possible. Yeah. The one, the one thing I say is when somebody comes to you with a complaint, the first thing you need to do is take a nice deep breath. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, get yourself calm and also then acknowledge them for bringing it forward. Like that's the first thing to do is thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. Exactly. It takes a lot of courage for a complainant to come forward. Yeah, and that's what that would the training would mm -hmm. tell them that. Yes, the training would tell the the managers and supervisors. Listen, this person has gone through a lot just to get to your door. Mm -hmm. So yes. and and supporting them doesn't mean that you're automatically believing what they're saying. Yeah. It just means that you're gonna let the right person decide what happened. But in the meantime, I'm here to support you. Exactly. And what you said before, what a complainant really wants is to be heard and taken okay. seriously. Yes. And that's really what they want. And if you really hear them and really show them that you're taking it seriously, that's usually all they need. Exactly. A right? lot of and just to make sure that goes a long way. 
that goes a long way. Yeah. Absolutely. So it can really be make you know make it or break it in that first you know when the when the complainant's coming forward, you can either make it or break it right there. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Correct. Mm-hmm. I've seen many many cases get abandoned right there because the complainant felt that they're not going to be believed or they're not going to be supported or everybody's got to label them as being complainers or whatever. Or they're lying. I can't well, really lying. tell you. The number of people, oh, she's, the, the, the complaint has got to be lying. There's no way that happened. That's <laughs> right. I know that person. I've yeah. worked with that person for 20 years. There's no way that they would do that. So but they've like, already investigated and come to a conclusion, even though they haven't left their desk. Exactly. Which is so, I, when I hear that from an employer, I'm like, oh, you've already yeah. gotten biased. And you're, yes. you're, not, you're not pulling me into your bias. But. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. I, I've so, had to have that discussion with employers as well. Yeah, and it, it just it it really is so important the way you accept that first complaint. So, so that's so those are the two main people that need support: the complainants yeah. and the respondents. And again, mm-hmm. the complainant and respondents may require some additional support down the road, including. Uh, an EAP program, an employee assistance program, uh, counseling, mm-hmm. uh, some time off, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, this is w- when this impacts people, the impact can be severe enough that workplace harassment, as we know, can lead to uh, suicides. Yeah. It can lead to uh, criminal offenses being committed at work. Mm-hmm. So, we're talking about a very impactful situation that if the participants are not properly supported you could go right back to square one very quickly yes and i mean you, it's definitely becoming more and more in the news i mean you hear about julie pay at the the yes. general yes. canada creating yeah. a toxic work environment even ellen degeneres who's the queen of kind yes. you know so it's and and the long-term health consequences of being harassed at work are huge huge so this is absolutely affecting the bottom line yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, and again, that's part of the training is, yeah. is uh, bringing awareness to how harassment impacts people. Um, and again, that's why live training is better. Reading about how harassment impacts somebody is different than hearing a story told by somebody who either experienced it or uh, knows enough about the incident to mm-hmm. be able to paint a picture of a human who suffered as a result of the behavior of another. Oh, Jorge, there we could spend, we could do five podcasts just with the amount of knowledge that you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, feel free, feel free to call me back for any other uh, podcast. Well, it, well then, I don't want to let you go yet. I want to jump in just because you have so much, you have so much experience with diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism work. Um, you know, in 1987, I don't even know if, race relations i didn't know it was a mainstream thing back then so. well it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> in fact uh to my knowledge uh my police service was only the second one in ontario and one of the few in canada who even had a person in charge of of anti-racism work that is amazing so it was a real eye-opener for me but it was also an eye-opener for our police service and and in those days we had to make things up as on the fly because <laughs> nobody had ever done it before. Well, thank you for being a pioneer in such really important work. I was glad that I was given that opportunity and that I, uh, I was trained by uh, some community people that taught me exactly what was important. That was oh, really important for me. That's so great. So quickly in a nutshell for our listeners, 
what can our listeners do to, in the realm of diversity and inclusion, what do you think is the number one thing they can do to help decrease racial issues in the workplace? Well, the first thing is we've learned that uh, racism has been around a long time. It's certainly a hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. Finally, people are starting to see what racism really is. Finally, people are starting to be aware of the fact that it's everywhere in our society. Um, there isn't an institution that is unscathed by it. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is the acknowledgement that it exists, the recognition that systemic racism is, is alive and well in our society, um, the recognition that there is such a thing as uh, white privilege, mm-hmm. the recognition that certain people in positions of power um, can act offensively just by how they conduct themselves when they speak to people, even though their intent may not be to be dismissive or, or offensive, uh, they have power. So when a person with power makes a, uh, an off-the-cuff remark or a joke about a woman in the workplace or a racialized person or a, a member of the LGBTQ community, uh, the impact is magnified. Mm. So uh, that's what I talk about when I when I mean addressing issues of racism and and other forms of intolerance. But the other side of that coin is how diverse is your workplace? Mm. <laughs> it's you know so good to I, look at. I just finished an investigation into a work unit. There were sixteen employees, all of them white Canadian-born males. And it was a bullying type of situation where the person that was being bullied was a part-time worker. And one of the reasons why they were being bullied is because they were part-time. So imagine a person from a different religion, uh, racialized. uh, Orientation. Different orientation. Mm -hmm. Somebody like that walks into that workplace and they have a huge target on their back before they even open their mouth. It's so true. Allowing your environment to be with other people who are not like you, you learn so much. Yes. And yes. what you're saying about acknowledging that it exists, I just want to give you a quick example from my own life. Yes. I'm, a, I'm an adoptive mother, so my daughter is Asian. Right. And uh, it, it never occurred to me how, like, I, I because I didn't walk in her shoes, I don't, I didn't know the racism that exists. I was in a small town right. working and she was down. She decided her friends came walking. Her friends came over. They're Egyptian. Right. So two Egyptian, one Asian walking downtown in a very white neighborhood. And it didn't even cross my mind that they might not even be safe. Like that's how much white privilege I have. Right. Is that it would never cross my mind. And they came back saying, mm, that might not have been the best idea. My own white privilege just totally got in the way. So, But again, it's because people are not aware of it. Once, Mm-hmm. You, you bring it to people's attention. They start to see things from the perspective of a racialized person or the perspective of an LGBTQ member mm-hmm. or, or, you know, somebody different than themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, women, you know, I was a police officer for many years. It never occurred to me that that for some people it's scary to walk down the street to go to the variety store. Somebody had to raise my awareness that just because I'm comfortable walking to the corner store at 10 o'clock at night doesn't mean that my wife feels comfortable walking down to that same corner at that time of the night. Mm -hmm. 
you know, th seeing life from the privilege of a male is a very different thing. And there's some resistance uh, from people in power or people with power, there's resistance to recognizing that they don't know what they don't know. You don't know what it's like to be a racialized person unless you are one. You don't know what it's like to be a gay man unless you are one or you have friends that you talk to. Uh, you don't know what it's like to be a woman unless you are one or you are brought up to, uh, to a little more understanding by a woman that tells you, listen, life for us is different. We can't just walk into places like you can. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that awareness has to be created in the workplace, uh, both through training, but also through the examples set by management. Yes. So, again, a topic we could talk on and on and on about, but basically acknowledge that it exists and really know that if you are in a place of power, recognize your own resistance to it. Yes. Like there's a resistance to really owning the white privilege, the male privilege, the Canadian born privilege, whatever privilege it is yes. at the time, but really recognize and recognize there's a lot that you don't know that you don't even know about that. And, and dismissing it as, as either unimportant or coming from complainers or coming from, uh, you know, people who want something for nothing. That's how, a lot of concerns are dismissed. And doing that not only does those people a disservice, but your, your workplace is not going to be a fun one until people recognize those differences and, and the fact that people that don't have power are often at the receiving end of disrespectful behavior. Wow, Jorge, you are wealth of information. <laughs> I might have to just invite you back for more information. I would be very happy to do that, April. I really believe in this. And uh, I think the more we talk about it, the more people are aware of it, the less uh, disrespectful the, the workplace will be. And really, that's what that's why I created this podcast, is I'm really a stand for workplaces that work for everyone. And it's a conversation that people, I don't think, are paying enough attention to. So, um Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for all your great points. I could go over a million of them. It was definitely more than just three, <laughs> but good policies for sure. Um, supporting people throughout the whole process and also, you know, acknowledging racism and, and, and really power imbalances that exist and, and hiring diversely, like yes. really hire diversely because you're going to learn so much more and you're going to learn in those areas that you don't know that you don't know and bring that to the forefront. So, and, and, you know, diverse voices make for a better workplace plain and simple absolutely uh, you know, it, it, when you only hear the same message from the same people it's hard to get outside of that you need people that have a different experience to come in and say well have you thought of this uh, so diversity is so good for for any employer for so many reasons thank you so much jorge it's been a pleasure thank you for joining us for the harassment free workplace podcast Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. And please, spread the word. Feel free to send us feedback, questions, and suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on workplace investigations and assessments, please visit www.harassmentfreeworkplace.com. Till next time.